It is great to be here tonight, and it, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little sad. This is uh, the last night um, I'm going to be here. I, you know, I've felt really comfortable in this group. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, for coming. Um, it's always a, a privilege and an honor to be able to to do this kind of a thing, and it, it helps me as much as uh, as it helps anybody. Um, tonight. Uh, we're going to be going over step 12, uh, the chapter working with others. And uh, I'll, I'll put a warning in there uh, from the very start. This is a very challenging chapter. It, there's a call to action in this chapter that, uh, that you can pick up on loud and clear when you, when you move through this chapter. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has changed a lot over the years, and working with others, uh, the chapter has stayed the same, but, uh, but sometimes how we approach working with others has changed. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the fellowship stuff has moved in to replace a lot of the program stuff. Um, I'll, I'll, tell you about, um, I'll tell you about a riot I started at the New Jersey Convention uh, about 10 years ago. Okay? I, I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, they asked me to finish up the Alcathon, and here's the instructions I got. My instructions were to share for 20 minutes and then open the meeting up to discussion. And my topic was to be the 12th step. So I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? Uh, you know, I, I, thought, I take these things seriously, so I did some preparation. And how I, how I did it was this. I shared for 10 minutes on the first 11 steps and then explained how they prepared me to do the 12th step. And then I explained how I took other people through the steps in the 12th step. Now, there was a, an old-timer there that took exception to what I had to say because he was there with his sponsees, and I guess, you know, whatever I was sharing, you know, brought up, you know, brought up some uh, antagonism in this individual because that's not what he was doing, what I was talking about. And, uh, you know, rather than be open-minded on it all, you know, he chose to, uh, to attack me. And uh, so he started sharing, and he shared for about five minutes, and it was kind of like this. You know, I'm listening to you. You sound like some crazy counselor, so I don't know what the hell you're talking about, all these steps and how you're doing all this, and you're bringing somebody over to your house, and you're doing your inventory, and a man's all this crap. Let me tell you something. I got 20 years, and this is how we do it. This is how I learned how to do it. You get the person, and you throw them in the car, and you take them to a meeting. And you love them until they love themselves. I don't know what all these other step crap is about. Now, uh, you know, his problem was I was I was leading the meeting and I had rebuttal rights. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I let him go on and on and on. And, you know, I thanked him for sharing and I, I basically said something like this. You know, I really appreciated your opinion on uh, you know how you work with others, but uh, there is a chapter in the in the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous that, that lays out some serious guidelines for how we are to work with others, and I'm pretty pretty familiar with that chapter is I've probably been through it 50 times and I can't recall anywhere in there where it says throw somebody in a car take them to a meeting and love them until they love themselves and he freaked okay this guy freaked 
freaked because I guess I made him feel small or something. And he got up and he started throwing chairs and kicking over tables. I've never seen this happen before, but the, the leader of the meeting stopped the meeting. Meeting's over! Meeting's over! People are blowing for the exits. I mean, it really, you know, what a, what a way to end uh, the Alcathon for the New Jersey, you know, 2000 convention or whatever it was. But, but you know, I, I mean... I, I, I mean, you know, there was such a disparity between this individual's experience and what is in this book. And, it, you know, it's, it really is a critique on practices at, that, that we engage in in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, why am I really passionate about this book and why am I really passionate about these steps? I, I'm going to tell you absolutely honestly the truth. I am, I am passionate about this stuff because I have seen this stuff work when I have seen throwing somebody in a car and taking to a meeting not work. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meeting makers do not make it. If you, if you make meetings and you work steps, you've got a whole lot bigger chance of making it. It's about improving someone's odds of survival. That's what, that's what this book is about, and that's why I'm passionate about it. It improves sur survivability rates with alcoholics if they do this work. Now, there are people in AA meetings that do not have to do the 12 steps. And you know what? That is absolutely fine with me. They have not gone down the scale as far as some of us have. But there is, there is the type of alcoholic that they describe in this book as a hopeless alcoholic or a real alcoholic. That's the terminology they use. And those individuals are not going to be able to hitch up their bootstraps and just not drink. And what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous today way too much is those individuals are not engaged in a recovery process and they relapse their way right out of here and a lot of times they die. And you know what? That's our fault more than it's their fault if we're not offering them an opportunity to engage in a recovery program. Now, I'll say this again. There is the type of alcoholic they describe in this book as a real alcoholic or a hopeless alcoholic who ain't going to just be able to just go to meetings and not drink. You know, and it's not about it's not about disappointing you as a sponsor, you know, and, and you're looking bad because these guys are drinking. It's about you as a sponsor are not effectively carrying the message of recovery to those individuals. Now this is not a popular message. It does not make me the most popular person in the world to say this stuff. You know, a lot of times uh, you know, this is a good group. You guys are good sports about all this, but I'll share something like this at certain meetings and people will get up and walk out. It's not their experience and they take exception to it because they've been doing it differently for a long period of time. Part of recovery is remaining open-minded and remaining teachable. If you have people who are relapsing on you, try what it says in the chapter working with others. What do you have to lose? And it may mean the difference between that individual's living and that individual's dying. So often we don't want to take responsibility. If, if someone asks you to sponsor them or to take you through the steps, take that seriously. Take that seriously. Now, they're not always going to be willing to do it. A lot of times they're going to have a, a whole lot of enthusiasm to ask you and not a lot of follow-through to actually do it. That's on them. But you being available to offer 
this recovery process is your job. And if you're not doing it, you could it's contributory manslaughter, folks. That's that's what it is. Because it's in our book and we need to pay we need to pay attention to it. Too many people are dying in Alcoholics Anonymous today because we're expecting them to just not drink and go to meetings. When they can't the whole message of this book is there is a classification of an alcoholic who no amount of mental defense can prevent them from taking the first drink. Only a spiritual awakening is going to be sufficient for them to remain separated from alcohol. And the chapter, Working with Others, teaches us how to offer that spiritual awakening. And i got to tell you, you want the easier, softer way? Let's say we've gotten lazy in A. Let's just say that. I'm saying it's easier to take somebody through the steps than to field phone calls every night for ten years. Trying to manage unmanageable drama with them, you know? Oh, you wouldn't believe what I did today. Well, no, I actually do believe what you did today. You know what I mean? You've got so many holes in your shoes from shooting yourself in the foot, it ain't funny. You know? It is way easier to get somebody through the steps than it is to try to help them manage something that's unmanageable, which is their life. You know, we're not supposed to necessarily be the managers of people's lives. We're supposed to... Has anybody ever seen uh, the, the Sistine Chapel with, that Leo, Leonardo da Vinci uh, did the painting of? And there's Adam pointing his finger and there's God pointing his you know, touching Adam's finger. What we're supposed to be is we're supposed to be that hand pointing to God. Just like it is on the Sistine Chapel. We are not supposed to be their managers. We're not supposed to be their life coaches. We're not supposed to be their marriage counselors. We're just supposed to offer them a recovery process. And that's a lot easier than the other alternative. So I would, I would, I would suggest uh, if you have not tried sponsoring this way, to try it. My best friends in my life are the crew of guys who went through the steps with me in the 90s. These are guys who will take a bullet for me. If I call them up right now, I say, I need you in North Carolina, you know, they, they pack up and they go. These, these, are, these, are, uh, these are my best friends in the world. And we're in the fellowship of the Spirit together. There's the, there's the Spirit of the fellowship, which is in every AA meeting. And then there's the fellowship of the Spirit. And that's the people who join in brotherly and harmonious action after having been relieved of the bondage bondage of self and, uh, and, and got, gained some freedom from alcoholism, from, the, from the, uh, the destructive aspects of alcoholism. So um, let's take a look at the chapter Working with Others. <clears throat> Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. If you're convinced you've got a progressively fatal illness, that over any considerable period of time it's going to get worse, not better, you would pay attention to a statement like that. This is offering you immunity from the alcohol that's killing you and destroying a lot of your life. Your character defects are also contributing, but I'll tell you what, it's very difficult to work on character defects when you're drinking. You know, I you know I never came out of a blackout with a list of things that I that I should do to be better. You know what I mean? I never came out of a blackout running up a charity drive or something. You know, the last thing on our minds when alcohol is involved is helping other people. It's all about us. So immunity from drinking is an important promise 
that you get from intensive work with other alcoholics. Now, is intensive work with other alcoholics giving them a phone number and telling them to call you if you feel like drinking? That doesn't sound like intensive work with other alcoholics to me. I think what they're talking about is getting them over to the house or a neutral ground and qualifying them with step one and then explaining how you've had a, had a spiritual awakening, going through the steps and then offering that to them. Uh, I think that's our responsibility. You know, when it says anyone uh, anywhere, uh, you know, reaches out for the hand of AA, we want the hand of AA always to be there. If we, for one reason or another, can't take these people through the steps, pass them on to someone who can. Or get your own experience and learn how to do it yourself. I am telling you, some of the greatest promises in the world come from this. There are promises in the 12 step that you only get from doing this 12 step work, and there's some of the best promises available uh, in this book. This works when other activities fail. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Um, I had a bunch of counselors when I was in treatment, and uh, one of them was a woman who identified herself as an adult child of an alcoholic. She would start, every time she started to talk, she would say, you know, my name is Mona. I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. And I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. I didn't know why she was announcing herself that way. I was thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a psychotic son of a librarian. But, <laughs> but I don't start every sentence with that. You know, what, 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 is that, what does that mean? And what I found out later was this woman was a codependent. And, and she got to the point where she, where she would push up on me in group. And one of the things that she asked me one time was, uh, Chris, are you happy, mad, sad, or glad after I went on this tirade about something? You know, the coffee wasn't good or something, you know? And, uh, and, and I thought to myself, what the hell is she talking about? My feelings. I don't know what my feelings are. I just, I just came out of, I just came off the battlefield. Uh, you know, I am shell shocked. I don't know what the hell, the happy, glad, mad, or sad. What are you talking about? I want to kill you. You know, and uh, and now the other counselor was Charlie, the alcoholic. Okay, and he pinned me right to the wall every time we talked. I knew he was talking. About, I knew he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't trying. He wasn't trying to shine me around with, with a bunch of psychobabble. He would just pin me to the wall and tell me what I was and what was going on and what I needed to do. And, you know, we need practical, we need practical advice like that. Here's some of the 12-step promises, and they're peppered throughout this chapter. Life will take on new meaning. To watch other people recover, to see them help others, and to watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow up about you. To have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. I've had fellowships grow up about me. I've been part of creating the fellowship I crave. The friendship, the closeness, the, the bonding with other people that I always wanted. I was going after that in the bars, but I wasn't getting very far. You know, because I would go from being the, the most magnanimous, wonder, wonderful guy to like a psychopathic, I'm going to kill you. And that, you know, that, that would disconcert people. Um, frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. 
Now, I believe this really is only a promise that's going to come true when you're working with others. Because frequent contact with newcomers was, was not what I was going after, you know, when I had about a year. Mm-hmm. I, I'd see a newcomer's hand go up and I'd go, oh, no, here we go. His mutton head is going to be sharing, you know, crap again. Listen to, oh, God, oh, God, shut up. Will you just drink, you know, and get it over with? Just shut up. I want to share. Yeah, you know, and that's what it is. Uh, so until I had the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, I had no compassion for the newcomer. I was worried about me. It was a selfish program, you know? Uh, now, a qualification uh, on this book. Remember, you know, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Remember, there were two groups when this book was written. A couple of groups were starting up, but there was two main groups, Akron and Cleveland. And Bill Wilson, the schemer, knew that if he put this book together and advertised it to doctors as a cure for alcoholism, he would become a millionaire. So he put this together for mail order sobriety and recovery. He put the instructions in here that if this was mailed to you in in Albuquerque, you could read this, you could do what it says to do, and you could recover. And that's absolutely true, except we all know today that the best way is for one alcoholic to carry this message to another. If the big book would have would have worked for me, you know, uh, when the first time I read it, I would have started doing this stuff. But that's not what happens. I mean, how many in here have read the big book a long time before you really started serious step work? I read it like it was the Da Vinci Code. You know, oh, yeah, okay. That was you know pr- pretty poorly written. Uh, Bill Wilson was definitely a loser. You know, I mean that was my impression. You know, but this is a textbook, so they found that textbooks need to be taught. So we need to teach this material to people. Now, one of the horrible things that they used to say in North Jersey AA when I first got sober was, "There's no teachers in AA. Teachers get drunk." Well, I beg to differ. There's a wonderful quote by Bill Wilson in, uh, I believe it's in the pamphlet, Problems Other Than Alcohol, that says the, the sole purpose of an AA group is the teaching and practice of the 12 steps. That's the sole purpose of an AA group. So what we need to do is we need to band together and we need to form you know, posses or whatever we need to do for when newcomers come in, we can offer them a solution. Now, they can take it, or they can leave it, but it's a solution that we can offer. So often we want to not hurt people's feelings. As we go through this chapter, it basically tells us if they're not willing to work the steps with steps with us, bye bye. Doesn't mean we're throwing them out of AA. It means we don't work with them because it's a waste of our time and it's probably a waste of theirs. Our time as recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous is valuable. And if someone won't go through the steps with you, move on to someone who does. There's, these are direct instructions in this chapter. If they just want to go to meetings and drink the coffee and share, that's fine. Let them. But don't you waste your personal working with others' time with those individuals. Don't, don't sponsor them and, and sign a suicide pact with them saying, you know, I won't hold you accountable for anything if you don't hold me accountable for anything. That's a suicide pact. So, so take, this, take these responsibilities uh, seriously. 
Now it says, all right, where are we going to find these drinkers? Remember, this book is in Albuquerque, and there's there's no AA groups. Perhaps you're not acquainted with any drink, drinkers who want to recover. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. Now, we don't do this much anymore. We wait for them to come into AA. I, I think we need to be a little bit more proactive. A lot of the guys I work with, I suggest very, very strongly that they get commitments. They get commitments at the prisons. They get commitments at the treatment centers, at the detoxes, at the mental hospitals, at the VAs, wherever they need to do that. And to to try to find alcoholics willing to go through the steps. Now, a number of my guys have taken this seriously and have done incredible work. There are hundreds and hundreds of recovered alcoholics in the North Jersey area because of my guys. You know, they were saved from a hopeless condition because they were willing, they, were, they had a, a, a willingness born of desperation. They had tried a lot of other things that didn't work, and they sat down and they got busy with with some of my guys and recovered. Um, when you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about them. This paragraph talks about we need to we need to be able to understand the individual. Initially, this is a sales job. We're selling them on the idea of powerlessness, what alcoholism is, and then we're sharing our experience with the recovery process, and we're selling them on the idea that they can get well no matter what, as long as they're willing to clean house, trust God, and help others. That's what that's what we're that's what we're trying to sell to these individuals. Now, is everybody going to buy this sale pitch? No, no. In in the early days when I was in AA, I thought a twelve, 12 step call was taking somebody to a detox. I thought a twelve step call was taking somebody to a meeting or or, or to a, a rehab. You know, today I understand a twelve twelve step call is sitting down and helping to qualify an individual, and then explain to them what the program of recovery entails, what they're going to need to do to have a psychic change, have a spiritual awakening, and this chapter is abundantly clear on that. Uh, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. Leave him your phone number. Say, hey, if you don't want to get over drinking, fine. You don't want to work the steps with me, fine. Here's my phone number. You know, when you're willing, when you're willing to, to 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 really try this, you know, I'll be there for you. I'll I'll be there every step of the way as long as you're you're willing. Um, if there's any indication that he wants to stop, have a good person uh, talk with the person most interested in him, usually his wife. Again, you want to know a little bit about the personality. You want to know a little bit. If you're doing a sales call, let's say you're trying to sell insurance to, uh, uh, to a large corporation, you're going to do your due diligence. You're going to learn a little bit about that corporation. You're going to learn who the major players are. You're going to try to figure out what kind of insurance they have now, how you can do better, and you're going to prepare a little bit for that sales pitch. We need to sometimes do that with our prospects also. You need this information to put yourself in his place to see how you would like him to approach you if the tables were turned. Sometimes it's wise to wait till he goes on a binge. Now why would this be? Anybody in here come to the next morning with the summonses in your back pocket or the car, the side of the car is gone, uh, you know what I mean, or, 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 or you know, you, 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 know you, you, thought, you thought you went to, to bed with Bo Derek and you woke up and it was Bo Diddley, you know, I mean, 
I, I mean, there's, there's just there's just a lot of uh, a lot of guilt and shame and remorse, and you know, you're getting thrown out of the house, you're losing your job, you know, whatever. Uh, how many how many of us have had experiences like that? You know, uh, let the record show all 400 hands went went, went up. Uh, Okay, now you're a little bit more pliable at that point in time. Listen, if you just had the best time in your life, you, you know, you know, you, you were you were you were hanging out with with uh, with the sw the Swedish women's ski team, you know, uh, doing cocktails uh, off their belly buttons or something. I mean, you, you're not going to want to quit. But but if you've just you know if you've just run into the rear end of a cop and you were so drunk you couldn't get out of the car you're you know you're gonna have a different attitude and a different outlook about this stuff maybe I, yeah yeah I mean I'm willing so sometimes it's willing it's it's better to wait for them to go on a bench than it is to try to talk them out of drinking and into recovery when they really they they really don't have interest in that I remember this one time you know I had a drinking buddy this this woman used to be my drinking buddy and when I got sober I was going to get her sober and I remember putting a putting an extension ladder up on her house she had me locked out she didn't want to hear anything about anything and I got up on the third story and I broke in her window with everybody we're going to take her to I mean how ridiculous she's probably still drinking you know what I mean the crazy AAs they broke into my you know uh, you know so you know we it's just better. It's just better to wait until there that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization is on them from one more relapse, one more trip to the detox, you know, uh, one more trip to you know to, to the to the courts for another DUI or something. That's a real good time to approach somebody. Uh, don't deal with him when he is very drunk. I made this mistake one time. This guy called us up from the bar. So I need some help, you know. So I rallied the troops, and we went over there. We got me so drunk, and when we got there, we're like, "Okay, we're taking a detox." He goes, "Detox? I just needed a ride home," <laughs> you know. And we're like, "Well, like, you're not going home. You're going to the detox." Well, all right. And you know, and uh, he woke up in the detox the next day, going. What the hell am I doing here? And got up and split. It was a total waste of a night. It was a total waste of a night. Uh, wait for the end of a spree or at least a lucid interval. Then let him ask his, ask his family or friend to ask him if he wants to quit for good and would go to any extreme to do so. Quit for good and go to any extreme to do so. Well, I only decide not to drink one day at a time. That's not what the book is asking us. The book is asking us for a full, full-blown commitment here. Are we willing to quit for good? Are we willing to go to any extreme to do so? Now, sometimes when I share this, somebody somebody will share, you know, I never would have came into AA if they would have told me I had to quit for good. And, you know, my observation is always, well, I don't think there's a lot of people that would miss you. You know what I'm saying? Okay? If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. Not, not a person who is slowly recovering. A person who has recovered. You should be described as him as one of a fellowship who has a part of their own recovery, try to help others, and who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you.
If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Anybody in here ever came out of a, come out of a blackout and there's AA literature on the table next to you? That's always, that's always fun. Um, all right. See your man alone if possible is one of the instructions. Now, it does not say go on a 12-step call alone. See a man alone if possible means when you're doing the 12-step call, when you're trying to help him identify and qualify himself and then share your experience with the recovery program and see if he wants that recovery program, you know, you should not have his family sitting there. Because if his family's sitting there, they're going to be going, listen to him, listen to him. You, you, you know, I mean, you want to you want to give the guy a little bit of dignity, you know, a, a little a little bit of privacy to, to really think about, think about this stuff. Now, uh, I also highly recommend, if you're going on a 12-step call with a wet drunk, to go with somebody. Um, I've had my life threatened on, on two occasions. Um, this one occasion, uh, I get this crazy phone call. It's the middle of the night, and this guy goes, Chris! Chris, I need help! I'm like, well, what's going on? He goes, Satan is talking to me! You know, that, that's an important warning sign, by the way, if you're, if you're new to working with others. Um, and I knew enough about Satan to ask him this next question. Uh, how much cocaine are you doing? You know, and, oh, four grams. You know, like, oh, okay, all right, we're on our way over. You know, I, get, I, I, I grab my guy and we go over there. I'm driving, uh, my support is in the front seat, and we throw him in the back. Now, this is a guy who was a, was a, a boxer. I mean, he, you know, he looked like Hulk Hogan. He was just huge. If he wasn't punching somebody, he was lifting weights. And he's in the back of my car, and I I remember I go to him, uh, um, Andy, uh, you know, uh, how you doing? Is, is Satan still talking to you? You know, we're heading to Happy Hills. And, and he goes, yeah, Satan's still talking to me. He's telling me to hurt people. I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> looking at him. And I go, yeah. And he goes, especially people that are trying to help me. I'm like, oh, no. Well, made, made for a nervous ride to Happy Hills. Another time, another time happened when I was on vacation down here in North Carolina, right over in Statesville. Uh, I had an old meeting book, so I showed up to a place where there, the meetings weren't there anymore. They, they had it used to be the cup of water, and now it's something else, you know. So I show up, and, and uh, there's no meeting, and you know people are living there, you know. So I'm in the wrong place, and somebody, and, and this guy comes up with his girlfriend, drives up with his girlfriend, and he got the same meeting book, I guess. He, he's expecting a meeting, and you know, so I start talking to him on the sidewalk, and he's coming back from his 12th DUI. You guys do it right down here in North Carolina. I gotta tell you, 12 DUI. He had just done like nine months in prison, and and his codependent girlfriend was dragging him around, and you know, it was it was beautiful. She's like, yeah, he just got out of prison. Yeah, you know, I mean, she was like, she was like total, total untreated Alan on. It was just amazing to see it. Yeah, you know, he's got a parole officer. And she's like proud of all this. And so anyway, anyway, I go look. You know, we the, I guess the meeting's not here. Why don't we get a cup of coffee? You know, I'm going to do my 12-step number on this guy, all right? 
So we're sitting in Denny's having a, having a cup of coffee, and I'm hitting them with the truth. You know, you've got to progressively fail your illness. You know, over any considerable period of time, it gets worse and never gets better. You know, unless you arrest it with a spiritual recovery process, it's, you know, just going to get worse. You're going to keep getting DUIs. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, I need to tell you something. I usually kill people that give me bad news. I'm like, waitress, check. You know? <laughs> I'll see you later. I'll see you later. Oh, boy. I'm messing with the wrong guy. All right. At first, engage in general conversation. You got, you got your prospect. It doesn't say sponsorship in this book. Sponsorship happens a little bit later, and it happened because of Dr. Bob having to sponsor people to get him into the hospital, or else the hospital didn't want him. Unless an AA member was willing to vouch for them that they would be taking them through the steps, the hospital didn't want to mess with them because they knew that they'd just relapse, and it'd be a big waste of money. So you needed to be sponsored. Now that's kind of where kind of where it came from. There's different descriptions of uh, in this book. They call somebody a prospect, and I, what what I think that means is it's somebody that you have not done your 12-step number with yet. You haven't qualified them. You haven't explained the program of recovery or, or you know, asked them if they wanted that. So they're a prospect. Once you've done that and they say, yes, I want this thing, they are then a protege. That's the terminology that this book uses. And then when they've had their own experience and they're working with others, they're a friend. You know, so there's some groups out there that have like fanatically, uh, you know, uh, uh, hierarchical, you know, dictatorial sponsors who, you know, ten years down the road, they're telling you what kind of car to buy and what what kind of person to marry and you know what kind of job to have. You know, that's not what this book is talking about. This book is talking about freedom. This book is talking about freedom. And what we want is we want to walk hand in hand with the new man, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, trudge the road to happy destiny with this individual, not as, you know, as someone who oversees the minutia of their life and has authority over that, but as as peers, because when you get to when you get through and you have a spiritual awakening and the person you're working with has a spiritual awakening, you're you're peers. You're now reliant upon God and obedient to spiritual principles. You don't necessarily have to be obedient to people. You know, there are some mutton heads in Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if anybody in here has discovered that yet. But there's some mutton heads. And, you know, if you place yourself unreservedly under their care and protection and they're guiding your life, hell, they, they drove themselves into the ditch, you know. If a blind man leads a blind man, you know what happens. So, uh, so again, what we're trying to do is get somebody to the power, the power, that's going to be able to help them with their life. And that power eat you. No human power can relieve alcoholism. It has to be a power greater than yourself. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him about your own drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences. And encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. But say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Try to set the hook a little bit. You want them to say, well, you're not drinking now. What did you do? You know, you got them. You got them when they say that. 
If he's in a serious mood, dwell on the trouble liquors has, has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your ex escapades. Uh, get him to tell you some of his. This is an identification process. And you, you, know, you, you have to pick up on the individual. This is not a cookie-cutter type of a thing. We have to be reactive, and we have to be intuitive. One of the promises is is that that um, uh, one of the promises is that you will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle you, and that promise is no more operative anywhere else. Uh, it's no more operative than when you're working with others. I am not smart enough to get away with some of the stuff I've gotten away on my 12-step calls. I ended up saying the right thing, and it's not because I'm smart. I just I was guided. I had that intuition. You know what I mean? In the middle of the 12 step call. And I was paying attention to the other person. I don't go in there with a pitch. I go in there trying, trying to see, you know, trying to see what, you know, what would work best with this individual. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were. Uh, how you finally learned you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. This is key. Okay? It says in the chapter, We Agnostics, we hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. The alcoholic is going to be able to share about their struggles to stop. Because 99 out of 100 alcoholics out there struggled to stop and were not able to. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. Explain the mental obsession. Explain why you may absolutely want to not drink, but don't you end up drunk? Well, yeah. Haven't you sworn off booze countless times, but booze goes back in your body? Yeah. Well, then explain a little bit about the mental obsession and how, how, how uh, human willpower does not work, how sufficient desire does not work, how looking at the consequences or the problems you've had in the past is not a sufficient defense against picking up the next drink. Because if you're alcoholic, you're going to have that experience. We suggest you do this as we have done in the chapter on alcoholism. So... If you're going to be doing a 12-step call, you need to be familiar with the basics of the chapter more about alcoholism. If he's an alcoholic, he will understand you at once. If he's, just, if he's just a nut job, he won't. Okay, you'll be saving yourself a lot of time. He will match your own mental inconsistencies with some of his own. You know, you know that's happened to me. That's happened to me. I signed in the Bible, you know, and promised my family I would never drink again. And I, I only lasted three days. Well, well, yeah, you know, welcome, you know, brother, you know, uh, I'm with you. Now, here's a good one. If you are satisfied he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Part of the qualification process that we've almost lost sight of in Alcoholics Anonymous is qualifying the person as an alcoholic. If you're qualifying somebody and they don't have the obsession of the mind that you know they can they can stop or moderate, they're just in here for the coffee, you know, you don't need to work with them. If they don't have that allergy of the body, if one drink doesn't lead to the second drink that asks for the third drink that demands the fourth drink, then you don't need to work with them either. They've just got a drinking problem and they can solve that problem by not drinking.
But if you're convinced they're an alcoholic, now now we can now we can start to move forward. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of willpower. How when you start to drink you get that motor going and there's very very little stopping it, okay? You have to be arrested, you have to completely run out of booze, you have to pass out. You know, this is something an alcoholic is going to understand. Um, if he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that he possibly can if he's not too alcoholic. But insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover himself. You know, well, I think I can control it. Well, try it for a while. You know, try controlling it for a while. This is my phone number. If you can control it, you know, rock on. You know what I mean? I wish I could control it. I'd be a partying fool. I can't, though. You know, I start off partying and end up sleeping in a bush or something. You know? Because <clears throat> I get the job done. You know what I mean? Anybody in here get the job done when they drink? You know what I'm talking about. His lightweights that go home. People, I gotta go home. Are you crazy? It's only two o'clock. Anybody in here use cocaine so you can drink like for 24 hours straight and not pass out? Let the record show a huge amount of hands went up there. Oh my God. One time I started to use heroin to try to control my alcohol consumption. It was the only thing I knew of that would take away that the physical craving for more alcohol. Is that nuts? Nuts, I thought it was a good idea. You know? I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I went to new lows. Start doing that, man, things get decadent really fast. Oh, man, I ended up with a girlfriend who could remove her front tooth. You know? Oh, my God. Oh. Moved her in with me and mom, you know? And, Wondered my, why my mother had such a problem. You know, all she'd do is sleep all day long. You know, and, oh god, she stole a, she stole license plates off the neighbor's car. You know, to, to oh, oh man, it's a mess. It's a mess. You know, there's all kinds of different stuff that can happen when you get involved in that. Uh, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. It's a fatal malady. You know, and if they threaten to kill you, you know, you can always talk to them later. Uh, get out of there. You know, on a 12-step call, this one time this guy goes, yeah, you know, I was on a 12-step call, and I was doing, you know, I was talking and talking, but it was, I was really nervous. I go, why were you nervous? He goes, because he was cleaning his handgun while I was doing the 12-step call. I go, what are you, crazy? The guy's drunk and cleaning a handgun, and you're telling him about AA? We don't do this stuff to get killed, you know? Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. The body, the physical craving, the mind, the mental obsession. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Because that's what Charlie, the alcoholism counselor, did with me. And that's what made me believe this guy was not bullshitting me. You know, I knew a lot of other people who ha who had all kinds of all, all kinds of uh, advice for me, you know, and uh, you know, uh, uh, they were begging me or they're telling me, why don't you know, why don't you just drink beer? My boss would do that. Why don't you just bring beer? 
Why don't I just drink beer? Because I'd have to drink 40 bottles in the next hour. Why do I just drink beer? You know, these are, these are, these are uh, you know, people that don't understand alcoholism. Keep his attention. Uh, explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Many people are doomed in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings because they never realize their predicament because nobody's qualifying them. Nobody's doing a first step with them. Nobody's showing them what the real problem is. They're telling them that, that their problem is drinking. Their problem is, is they can't separate from alcohol. Their problem is, is they can't live sober. Their problem is, is they've got a mental, strange mental twist that is going to keep bringing them back to the poison that's killing them. You know that that and their life is unmanageable across the board. I mean, you know, we we can't pussyfoot around with with this stuff. Uh, doctors are rightly loath to tell the alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You can paint them into the corner. You know, you can paint them into the corner. Buddy, it's Custer's last stand, and there's more Indians coming. You know, you know like this. Because there's a step two. Um, even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. They're talking about the spiritual experience, the spiritual awakening. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. Um, the main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. I always tell him, alcoholism is your problem spiritual living is your solution and we've got a way to teach you how to live spiritually not live religiously live spiritually and spiritual principles are good they're going to help to help you really start to put some quality back in your life you know what i mean you're living in a car you know let us teach you some spiritual principles and maybe you can get back on your feet um to be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. This is something that you also have to drill into their head. That it's not going to be about them getting their recovery and going home and watching the new season of Lost. It's going to be about it's going to be about self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. It's going to be about giving back. They're going to have to develop a service ethic if they're going to want any type of quality in their life. You look at the happiest people on this planet and you can always ask them, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And they'll be able to answer you, whether they're, whether they're working at a soup kitchen or, or you know, they're, they're I, I mean, anybody that's really happy, that happiness comes from giving of themselves. It just does. We, we aren't happy when it's all about us. As alcoholics, we've proved that. We can't get enough toys. We can't get enough sex. We can't get enough drugs. We can't get enough booze. We can't get enough power. You know, we can't. It's not available. What truly brings us happiness is a spiritual condition that's followed by uh, unselfish, constructive action and self-sacrifice. Uh, 
Here we go. Here's where you start to do the real work. Everybody, you know, I hear all the time the work. Take somebody through the work. Take somebody through the work. I had a, I had a spiritual advisor. His name was Joe Hawk. And he used to, he used to challenge that, that thought. He said, Chris, what I believe is the first 11 steps prepare us to do the work of Alcoholics Anonymous. The work of Alcoholics Anonymous is in the 12th step. And more and more I come to understand what he says and believe what he says. The first, step, the first 11 steps are about preparing us to be of maximum service to God and our fellow man. Here's what we're supposed to do. Outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal, the fourth step, how you straightened out your past, how you went out and made amends, and why you are now endeavoring, endeavoring to be helpful to him. A little bit about the 12th step. Now, how do you do that with, a new, with, with somebody if you've not done an inventory or made amends? How are you going to share that experience with them? It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital role in your own recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. Certainly, if they don't respond and start to work the program with you, you're going to have been helped because you went and did a 12-step call. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing assures immunity from drinking uh, more than intensive work with alcoholics. Make it plain he's under no obligation to you that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. This, really, this is really an, a sponsorship ethic that we should have. We, they, when we get somebody through the steps, they shouldn't be obligated to us. My, both of, well, my first sponsor was adamant about this. He goes, Chris, all the work I'm doing with you, you feel like you need to pay me back. I'm telling you right now, I don't want you to pay me back. I want you to, I want you to do it to, for somebody else. I don't need to be paid back. And that lesson really did stick with me. Suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Oh, oh, I thought it was a selfish program. This is telling us that we need to tell the newcomer, so we need to be doing it ourselves, that we need to be place the welfare of other people ahead of our own. That's a revolutionary concept. It's more important to help people than to help ourselves. That's not how I was. I had a, I had a library of self-help books that would have contradicted that. You know, Think and Grow Rich. You know, all of these books. And they were wonderful books. But they were about how I could profit and how I could gain money, power, and sex. That's what those books were about. This is basically telling us that we need to shift our perception about what's going to be meaningful in our life and start to work for other people and put their welfare ahead of our own. And we're supposed to be teaching our sponsees to do that. Um, if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you've perhaps made a friend. Maybe you've disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. I disturb people about the question of alcoholism all the time. And I cut, room, I cut rooms in half. I, I probably did it tonight. <laughs> uh, this is all to the good. What happens is the first thing that happens when you get hit with some truth, if it's true for you, the first thing that happens is when you get hit, for, hit with some truth, you're pissed off at the person who told you. That's human nature. But 
You have to internalize it. Whatever dark thing got brought up in you to make you pissed off at the person telling you this stuff, you need to look at that dark spot in your life. And when you come to terms with that, you come to terms with some truth. Then maybe this stuff is true. Maybe this stuff is my experience. Maybe I need this recovery process. So I always believe that it's better to step on somebody's feelings than to step on their grave. I just do. And I will be very, very blunt with people. I'm not here to win friends and influence people. You know, I've got enough friends. I'm not here anymore to make people like me. That was, I was desperately attached to that in my early days in AA. I planned what I was going to share just to make sure every single person in the room would like what I shared. i got to tell you, you, you know I don't care about that anymore, I hope. You know. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions if you've painted him into a corner. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. He may be rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning. A four-step and a fista? They told me never to admit anything even if they got me on video. Um, do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him your copy of the book. All this has taken place on the first visit. It's a lot of information, you know, to, to, to push into somebody. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. You've done the sales pitch. Now it's a take it or leave it. Folks, Alcoholics Anonymous today is so much more about quantity than it is about quality. It's unbelievable. You look at every decision the New York General Service makes, and it's all about increasing the size of the fellowship and the scope of the fellowship. That's not, this book is telling us we're not on a membership drive. We don't get a toaster for everybody we sign up in here. This is about the people who need it and want it who want to work with us. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusader reform. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. And again, that's the steps. Show him how they worked with you. How the steps worked with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. If they don't want to work through the steps with you, Bye-bye. Find somebody who will. This doesn't mean that you know, they're not allowed in AA or we, should, we shouldn't be friendly with them. It means that we should not be spending our precious resource, our personal time, as recovered alcoholics, working with them. What are you going to try to do? Help them, help them manage a life that's unmanageable? You want, to ma you want to be a manager of an unmanageable venture? I did that for a long period of time. Call me when you get in trouble. And they did. You know what I mean? Oh, my God, did they? <clears throat> I wasn't helping them. I was allowing them to remain insincere. I was allowing them to remain unrecovered. And I was allowing them to think that they were safe and protected because they had a sponsor that they were working with. When in, in point of fact, they were not. They were not working with a sponsor. They had an advisor. You know, they had a, a, a counselor with no professional training, you know. 
If he is not interested in your solution, if he expects for you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties, or a nurse for his sprees, or, or a coach for his drama, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. Bye-bye. <clears throat> You've got my phone number. When you're willing to work with me, I'll do anything I can. But I only know one way to recover from alcoholism. And I would not be doing you any service by allowing you to run your own program. We know that doesn't work. Okay, if, if you could run your own program, you wouldn't be sleeping in a car. You know what I mean? This he may do after he gets hurt some more. If he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. So what do you got to bring with you on a 12-step call? Don't bring your prize book with the Joe and Charlie signatures and all, all your notes. Have a spare book in the trunk. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. Okay, How many times have we asked people, are you willing to go to any lengths? But we haven't offered them the dignity of understanding what any lengths looks like. How do you know what any lengths looks like? Well, you leave an individual this book. You've already done a 12-step call with them. You've talked about the steps. You've talked about the problem. You've talked about your own recovery. Read this book. And then, on the second visit, you ask them, are you ready are you ready to go to any lengths? You, you've read this book. You understand what any lengths looks like. Then you're going to get a yes or a no. He should not be pushed or prodded. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. You want to try primal screen therapy and pyramids? God bless you. You got my number. You, you know what I mean? Give it a shot. We have no monopoly on God. We also have no monopoly on separation from alcohol. I think what we have a monopoly on is recovery from alcoholism. Because I, I'm in the profession. I, you know, I, I deal with professionals all the time. I don't see recoveries if they're not spiritual. I see abstinence. I see sobriety. But I never see recoveries for, with alcoholics or drug addicts that come out of treatment without some form of spiritual practice behind it. I just don't. I see very cranky sobriety sometimes. I see that in meetings sometimes. You ever have those old-time cranky people in the meetings up here? Take the cotton out of your ears and shove it in your mouth. If you're recovered, tell your face. But I don't judge. Do not be discouraged if your project is not, prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. Again, you know, it's, you know we're, we're not going for a batting average here. You know, what we're going for is for the people who can and will work with us. I worked with literally hundreds of guys my first 10 years in AA. I probably sponsored over 100 guys. And the guys that are still with me today, who are still members in good standing in Alcoholics Anonymous, are the people who went through the steps. I don't know where the other guys are. They came to the conclusion that this Alcoholics Anonymous thing was an overreaction to a problem that they had misjudged, and they disappeared. You know what I mean? And all the time I spent with those people was wasted. It was wasted. It, it, it helped me to learn a little bit about sponsoring, maybe, but it really was a waste of time. I could have been working with other people. The people that went through the steps, every single one of them is still sober. I have a 100% recovery rate for the people that have gone through the steps with me. I have like a 90% failure rate for the people that haven't. 
That's a significant statistic in, in, in my life. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what we have to offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. How many times have we done that? Oh, my sponsor went out again, you know, so I went over and talked to him at work. I mean, we're chasing him. We're chasing. That's not what we're supposed to do. If we've, if we've qualified them and we've talked to them about what the recovery solution is, they know what they need to do. They know what they need to do. We need to, we need to wait for that willingness. And sometimes that willingness will come after a spree. One more trip to the court. You know, one more trip to the hospital. Sometimes we need to wait. If you leave such a person alone, he may become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. You've ruined his drinking if you've qualified him as an alcoholic. He's never going to have fun drinking again. He'll hate you. You know, because you've told him the truth about alcohol. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. This is where our time is of the essence. Our time is very, 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 uh, um, it's very, very important. Suppose you're now making your second visit to a man. He's read this volume and says he's prepared to go, with, go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. They're willing to go through the 12 steps of recovery on the second visit. Having had the experience yourself, again, we can't give away anything that we don't have. You can't share your experience with a spiritual. Uh, you can't share a spiritual experience with someone uh, 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 if you haven't had one. You can give him much practical advice. Let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision, the third step, and tell his story, the fifth step. But do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. Um, there's reverse promises over on the next page. Um, if you do this, it may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruption to your business, it may mean sharing your money, your home, counseling frantic wives and re uh, relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your spouse may sometimes say they are neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he's violent. So all my guys take martial arts just in case they got to kick some ass. <laughs> Sometimes you'll have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. I draw the line at sedative administration. I had some bad luck with that in the past, so I stay away from that. Uh, another time you may have to send for the police. Occasionally you will need to meet these situations. They sound very, very negative, but... If, if, if this kind of work is going to ensure our immunity from alcohol, if this kind of work is going to sustain our recovery, it's important for us to do this. It is way important for us to do this. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. Folks, I have so enjoyed being up here in Winston-Salem. Uh, I am gonna, I'm gonna be making North Carolina my home permanently, uh, you know, God willing. And uh, uh, you know, I just really look forward to this wonderful, wonderful fellowship you have down here. Thank you so much for having me here.